Hey everyone, this is David. This episode of Positive Regression is sponsored by Sunday Scaries. Sunday Scaries is a manufacturer of vitamin-infused CBD products, including gummies, tinctures, and energy shots. Now, there are plenty of CBD companies out there, but Sunday Scaries is the number one CBD company among millennials, and last year was awarded top accolades by Forbes, Men's Health, Allure, and Best Products. Speaking from personal experience, I prefer the gummies. I have them right here. In addition to the soothing effects of CBD, each gummy contains the recommended daily value for vitamins D and B12. I've also tried out their YOLO shots, which contain caffeine, so they calm me down and keep me focused on the task at hand, whether that's logging stats for motorsports analytics or editing this very podcast. Sunday's Gary's comes in handy. If you are a Positive Regression listener, you can give them a try right now by going to sundayscaries.com and using the coupon code POSREGPOD for 25% off your order. That's POSREGPOD, P-O-S-R-E-G-P-O-D, 25% off everything at sundayscaries.com. On this episode, the return of your favorite game show, Two Truths and a Lie, the future of the 20 car and its driver, and our preview of the big doubleheader coming up at Pocono. But first, as always, David, this is episode 67 of Positive Regression. This is the Buddy Arrington edition. Buddy Arrington, David, I'm going to call him the original Michael Waltrip. And by that, I mean my buddy Mikey likes to tell us how he went 0 for 462 before getting his first win. That's a lot of damn starts, keeping his job the whole time. Well, David, Buddy Arrington had a long career making 560 cup starts, but never recording a victory. But a majority of those races came in a beautiful number 67 car. Go look it up, blue and red. It was just so nice to see. Um Old picture show. He had that old school, cool look of the 60s and 70s, David. And he's from Martinsville, so I consider him an OG of NASCAR. <laughs> yeah, so you spoke to the inauspicious record. He is also the driver with the most career starts in NASCAR Cup Series history to not win a pole. Ooh. Huh. Yeah, that's an interesting one. But, uh, Buddy Arrington, you can, you can look at pictures, uh, and, and listen to, uh, to video clips. The sideburns. Yeah. The, vo- the voice. Uh, he had the Mopar mentality. He was influential into Dodge's participation in NASCAR. Alan, he had two seasons with a 14.3 place average finish. One of them occurred when he was how old? 39? Yes, yes. 39. <laughs> That's awesome. What what I think stood out about him was maybe contrary to Michael Waldrip, who who earned some good opportunities along the way, uh, Buddy Arrington was driving, for the most part, his his family car. And when I say family car, I mean it was it was literally operated by family. His son Joey 
served as his crew chief for uh, a number of those starts. And that's not something you see every day, a father-son driver crew chief duo going the opposite way yeah. you think it would. And it was, it was that, that kind of fostered what became the, uh, the Arrington's engine company. And that was operated by Joey. Uh, but that engine company went on to become the Dodge NASCAR alternative engine program, similar to how triad operated, uh, previously with Toyota, uh, Arrington won championships in the NASCAR truck series, uh, through their engine programs in 2004 and 2005 with drivers Bobby Hamilton and Ted Musgrave. And any kind of inclination that we get that, uh, Dodge is hemming and hawing about a return to NASCAR, I'm sure they'll be back one of these days, but you'd like to think that there is an Arrington attached to that just because of this deep-rooted connection. Absolutely. A lot of history there. Uh, yeah, when you just think about the manufacturers, I, I know they get a lot of love now, but I mean, there was such manufacturer loyalty way back when in this sport, right? I mean, you, you liked a manufacturer sometimes more than, than a driver or just the rivalry. You know, you hated the Chevys or you hated the Fords, and uh, that, that's something we don't see as much anymore, but he is certainly from that era. Yes, very. Where where's the Dodge pride on his sleeve? The the Mopar mentality. There's a club and all 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 sorts of Mopar related things, <laughs> and they hold the Arrington family in high regard, and for good reason. They were uh, they're influential into Dodge's participation in NASCAR. Good stuff. Episode sixty seven, the Buddy Arrington edition. Again, look up that paint scheme. Nice, beautiful, clean, smooth. Good stuff. Let's get to it. David, it's the return, perfect time for our favorite game show here on Positive Regression, Two Truths and a Lie. It is back. I am, I guess, the sucker for this game because you are going to, <laughs> you are going to throw some, uh, real facts and one faux one at me and I have to uh, see if I can pick it out and, um, uh, any other rules from there? <laughs> yeah. I, so this is like a good game because the point of the game is also the title of the game. It kind of works really, really well that way. But I will, I will say this. I'm not purposely trying to trick Alan. I'm not going to be a jerk. The, the lie will be an outright all in lie. It won't be just like a, uh, there, there is some truth in it. I'm not going to pull that. Uh, <laughs> we're, we're just going to go completely in another direction. So I have, uh, on, in my notes, four rounds ready to go. Alan, you think you're ready? I am absolutely ready. Okay. All right. So let's start it off. Round one. And I'm going to do these subject by subject. The first subject is crashing in the Cup Series specifically. So two truths and a lie. Here are the three, uh, air quotes, facts. <laughs> Number one, Kyle Busch has not crashed in a Cup Series car in 2020. Okay. That's the first fact. All right. Number two. John Hunter Nemechek has crashed a series high seven times, but has yet to crash out of a race. Okay, so that's number, that's number gotcha. two. Number three, Ryan Blaney has crashed a series high four times in the final 10% of races. Ooh. Alan Kavana, which one is the lie? 
Wow. Okay, because I thought the first two were true. In the end, Blaney's had some issues. I'm going to go with the last one is the lie, only because I remember last week's episode with Kyle Busch. I don't know if you count Talladega, so I, I could be, you know, put, shoot myself in the foot there. Uh, I don't think he crashed. He just had a, a bad tire. John Hunter Nemechek, he seems to crash a lot. Anything terminal, I don't remember, so I'm going with the third one. Ryan Blaney is the false fact there. You are correct. So he has he has crashed just once in the final 10% of races, and that was at Las Vegas. There are a lot of things that happened to Ryan Blaney at Las Vegas, and that was one of them. But he actually has a pretty clean record in this regard. Uh, I think fascinating, though, the two drivers who do have – uh, the series high four crashes in the final 10% of races are not slouches. They're Chase Elliott and Martin Truex. Hmm. And it, there was a, a graphic that I saw on social media that came from ESPN Stats and Info that spoke to Chase Elliott's poor closing and all of the positions that he has lost in the final 10% of races a large chunk of them uh, are due to simply just the crashing. And I, I think Chase Elliott fans listening, nodding along, pointing <laughs> to Darlington uh, for, for one. <laughs> yeah, so that's easy to see. But I, here are two guys that clearly are good and have race-winning speed where their results have been skewed as a result to just poorly timed Accidents. Martin Truex, of course, being caught in the the late race wreck at Talladega. Maybe not great starts uh, to the season for them just solely in this regard. They're both winners, but kind of leads one to believe that, you know, certainly you can say this about Chase, but also Martin Truex. They've left some good results on the table. Interesting stuff, especially when you consider, yeah, the, their results, but also with crashing, at least they're backing it up with some, uh, you know, they have wins to fall back on. So that's a good thing. Okay. Are you ready for round two? Oh, yeah. Okay. I'm on a hot streak. Round two subject is production. The production and equal equipment rating. Your friend, Ellen. Amen. Uh, okay. Number one. Denny Hamlin, at age 39, leads the NASCAR Cup Series in production and equal equipment rating through the first 13 races. Okay. That's fact number one. Fact number two. Cole Custer ranks second in peer among Stuart Haas drivers and ahead of Daniel Suarez, the very driver he replaced in the number 41 car. Okay. And fact number three, Kurt Busch has more than doubled his preseason peer projection of 1.225. Mm, I believe Denny leading the series is absolutely believable. Uh, Kurt Busch having a, a good year. I think when you factor in maybe some of the speed of that car and what he's doing with it, I think that gives him an enhanced peer. So just by default, I'm going to go with Cole Custer as the fake item. I, I, I just don't see him doing as well as that, as your item would, would say he is. So, what am I at? 
Cole Custer ranks second to last in the Cup Series in Pierre, and oh. that is that that is the correct one to to choose. Um, we can speak a little bit about this because this forty-one team all-in is not bad per se. Uh, I think Mike Shiplett has done an exceptional job in fielding positions Custer's way. Uh, they are retaining their spot 93% of the time during green flag pit cycles uh, for a 27 position gain on normal tracks. That is far better than I thought Mike Shipley was going to do. But the problem with that is that Custer this season has been a negative surplus passer. He's lost 59 positions more than expected. And those are clearly coming on long runs. This is where he is befuddled. Um, his preferred groove restarting is actually very good. He, he's at an 86% retention rate, and that's a top seven rate. Uh, so it's these long runs in the cup series that is just getting to Cole Custer. And Alan, in doing this research, I, I knew this, but it didn't, it had never resonated with me. William Byron is only two months older than Cole Custer. Wow. But he, is driving like he's two or three years older. And I say that because William Byron's passing numbers are very good and Byron is strong on long runs. That's visible. And that makes sense when you consider Byron's been in the cup series for, for more than two years. Yeah, how much of that is experience? I mean, you got to give him some or the yeah. benefit of some doubt, right? Cole Custer not having the experience William Byron sure. does. And it, yeah, I think the difference is your experience becomes accelerated when you are driving against good competition. And Cole Custer has never seen competition of this regard. And long run speed and conserving everything, tires, fuel, managing your car, finding handling on a long run, that seems to prove very difficult for young race car drivers. And that is the hurdle that Cole Custer is experiencing right now. Uh, and, and ultimately I think that gets better. He's only 22 years old. So I, I think we, we should have diminished expectations of him for this season in particular. And eventually he figured out long run passing in the Xfinity series, but that took three years and heavy regulation on cup series driver participation. So this could be a, uh, a slog for for young Cole Custer, but it's going to be one that he's just going to have to methodically overcome or else this might not work for Stuart Haas Racing. Interesting. Is it too early or if you wanted to ask the question, did they make the right decision in bringing Cole Custer versus Daniel Suarez? How how do you evaluate that? Is that even fair to ask? Uh, it's fair to ask. I, I wrote last year um, – for the transaction analysis, uh, for, for this particular move that this was for the short haul, a step backward because Daniel Suarez has some tried and true ability. They nearly made the playoffs. They lost out on a playoff spot in the final day of the regular season. You can't expect a rookie to just come in and duplicate that effort. But I think the the higher ceiling belongs to Custer based on what he was eventually 
able to do in the Xfinity series. If we remember Daniel Suarez's time in the Xfinity series, there were a lot of questions, especially around his restarting and ultimately his passing ability. And he answered some of those. He had a really good uh, playoff the year that he won the championship. But when he was promoted to the Cup Series, those questions still hadn't been answered. At least Custer answered those questions before getting a Cup Series promotion. But he's doing so at a younger age than Suarez. So you have to factor that in as well. This is something that is going to take some time. And I think Cole Custer... Certainly based on the fact that his father is a longtime high-ranking employee at that organization, he's going to be given this amount of time to figure it out. And maybe that should be the case because he is a talent. Uh, he should not be slept on in that regard. But if you're expecting something wonderful to happen in the 2020 season, I think again, because I don't think that was ever going to be the expectation. All right, interesting stuff, especially for the rookie class we have uh, this year in 2020 in the Cup Series. Next up, give me, I'm 2-0, and I'm rolling the dice, all in, let's do it. Uh, round three, we're going to talk about passing. Boom. So let's, uh, let's think about this. Yeah, I think you're going to get a theme here. Number one, the most efficient passer in the Cup Series this season is Ricky Stenhouse. Hmm, okay. The second most efficient passer huh. in the Cup Series this season is Christopher Bell. Okay. The third most efficient passer in the Cup Series this season is Joey Logano. Okay. Which uh, one's false, Alan? That's tough. Uh, I wish I had just studied these rankings and I would know right away, but I did not. <laughs> so... Ricky being first surprises me. Christopher Bell being anywhere near the front, especially with those first four races, surprises me. Joey, I could absolutely see. I hope <sighs> Ricky being first, most efficient. Oh, but Chris, uh, I gotta go with Bell. I mean, I just well efficiency. I'm just gonna go with Bell. I mean, I'm gonna say Bell is the false one, but it's hard for me to believe Ricky Stenhouse is the most efficient passer in the series. But maybe you'll surprise me. You got this one wrong. Ooh. Joey Logano is a negative surplus passer right now. The other two are true? Yes. Re Christopher Bell. I mean, yes. I know he's been on a run lately. We're going to talk about that in this episode, but that that, that impresses me. Yes. <laughs> Very much so. Christopher Bell, his success this season has been uh, – I I mean, it, it, it is – Pretty much all long runs. Uh, his his non-preferred groove retention ranks sixth in the series. So he isn't necessarily losing spots on those restarts, but he also isn't gaining positions. He's lost uh, two spots on 14 preferred groove attempts, and that's usually when drivers move forward. But all in, 75 positions beyond his expectation for Christopher Bell and Levine Family Racing. Um, wow. but let's, but let's also speak to Logano. I think this is something of a surprise given that he ranked high last year in surplus passing value. He holds a minus 1.18% SPV right now. And it's important to note, this is not an example of one bad outing affecting his number. He has for the most part been a negative Seven of the 11 measured races, and I omit the drafting tracks, seven of them resulted in negative surplus passing values, 
and those same seven represented actual negative adjusted pass differentials for the race. So based on the strides that he made last year, and we talked about uh, Logano last year, he had become a more well-rounded driver, which makes him a more versatile threat, regardless of how a race breaks. It would seem that on paper, he has taken a step backwards. And I find that, uh, I find that interesting. And it, it sort of makes sense. He, he does have two wins to his credit. He has some bad finishes to his credit. Um, it hasn't been a clear cut good season for Joey. And it's not just one bad outing affecting the number. That's curious. Shout out to Ricky Stenhouse too. Most efficient passer. 115 positions beyond wow. expectation for Ricky Stenhouse. How about that? Wow. This is a total course correction because he lost 56 beyond, uh, positions beyond the expectation in 2018 for Roush Fenway. That number increased to 86 in 2019. We knew that some change was coming because he told me it would, and he, he, what he, he didn't necessarily reflect on is what would be occurring, but yeah, he has been his normal aggressive self behind the wheel of a JTG car, but I'm not so certain it's the car. I think he's making more efficient decisions in his passing. I also think that he has been given a pretty wide berth by his competition based on his reputation. And he is absolutely taking advantage of what he is being given. He is not spending a lot of time in pass encounters. He's not racing side by side very often. He is making these passes at an efficient clip and moving forward. And it's been a pretty impressive campaign for Stenhouse to this point. Very cool stuff. And he put on a hell of a show at Talladega. Very cool to, to see that and uh, a good finish there. So, uh, n- all right, I'm two and one. Let's see if I can end, uh, you know, above 500 here. That's what I'm going for, David. Winning record right. I want. Let's do it. Okay, round four, Xfinity Series. Uh, and this certainly has a theme. So we'll we'll see if you're smart enough to pick up on that. Okay. Fact number one. Daniel Hemrick leads the Xfinity Series regulars in restart retention rate. Okay. Okay. Fact number two, Daniel Hemrick (laughs) ranks first among Xfinity Series regulars for fourth quarter speed. Okay. Okay. Fact number three, Daniel Hemrick ranks first in the Xfinity series for positions gained in the final 10% of races. Okay. First and what? All right. Let me ask how many starts has he had? He has missed just three races, right? So eight out of 11. So Jeb Burton did the two drafting tracks in the number eight junior motorsports car. Dale Earnhardt Jr. finished fifth in his lone outing at Homestead. Okay. So, uh, quick one more time. Fourth quarter speed. Give them to me one more time. Okay. Hemrick. Yep. Ranks first in restart retention rate. Restart first in fourth quarter speed. Ranks first in positions gained in the final 10% of races. Ooh, I'm going to go. 
I'm trying to remember how he did last year with restart. I'm going to go with the first one. I think the first one is false. I think the JRM car is fast. Um, I think that can help him toward the end of the race. Uh, I'm going to go with the first one restarts. And it's a miss. Oh, two and two. Yeah, no, he, he ranks first in restart retention rate, uh, among the, uh, the Xfinity series point eligible drivers. It's the last one. It's the position gain that isn't true. And I know that is very weird given how fast that team is at the end of the, uh, end of races, but it is explainable. Uh, negative 15.2% position retention difference, averaging a two spot loss per race. Uh, we mentioned that Logano's problems were not the example of one bad race holding back the number. This one is. That hmm. crash at Homestead uh, lost them 26 spots at the end of that race. This team, this number eight team, Homestead? is quite good. Yeah, Homestead, yeah. This team is quite good. I'm sort of confused about uh Hemrick and, and Taylor Moyer, uh, how they have not won a race at this point, but I think I can answer that. They've yet to actually be the fastest car in the fourth quarter of any single race. Uh Where they are good, they are consistent. And while that is difficult to achieve and is something that certainly should be applauded, it isn't netting them wins, which is kind of the whole point of Daniel Hemrick's season. Uh, Alan, your colleague, Bob Pockris, tweeted last month that Daniel Hemrick is not eligible for the Xfinity Series playoffs. He is running the majority of the schedule in that eight car, but not every race. And as such, he is not going to receive a waiver to make him eligible I actually disagree with NASCAR's decision on that. I think that Hemrick has given himself a harder pathway to the playoffs, but if he can win a race and place himself within the point range eligibility, I think we should give him a spot. What do you think? I absolutely agree. If you win a race and you can be in the top 30, I honestly don't care what else you do, right? I mean, I know that you want every entry there every week in the a car will still be there so i I don't know what the issue is uh i I wish that you know if he earns it and can stay in the top 30 with a limited amount of races you should be rewarded for that not uh um i don't know not that that shouldn't work against you just because of of, you know a potential funding issue or whatever it is that keeps him out of a full-time ride i mean if he earns a win if that team earns that you should be able to be in the playoffs if you fulfill those requirements so that stinks frankly yeah yeah, so superb on the short runs uh, or at the end of races. Uh, a lot to like about that team. We've talked about Taylor Moyer in the past. What an interesting crew chief uh, that he is. He's got a difficult job with just multiple drivers funneling through his cars. That's all he's ever known. Um, but I think the the eight team are just really enjoyable to watch and what has been a kind of a, a weird free-for-all of an Xfinity Series season. All right, so I went two for two. Not bad. David, you get, ha, 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 the tables are turning on David Smith right now because you get a shot to go one and one because you forgot about the truck series. I didn't forget about the truck series, so I'm going to throw three facts, quote unquote, at you about the truck series and see how smart you are. You ready for this? Okay, sure. Let's have it. You did not know this was going to happen. Here we go. First one. 
Tyler Ankrum is a series worst in giving up positions from the non-preferred groove so far this young season with 21 positions lost. That's the first one. Sheldon Creed leads all truck series regulars with positions gained on restarts. And number three, with his new crew chief, Chris Lawson, Todd Gilland has top five speed in the truck series. Which one of those? Is false. I believe Creed to be true. The Ankrum thing sounds realistic. And you said he lost those positions from the non-preferred groove? Correct. He's the worst of non-preferred groove with 21 positions lost. I will say the Todd Gilliland tidbit is false. The Todd Gilliland tidbit is true in three oh. races with Chris Lawson. Todd Gilliland has top five central speed. The false item, it's a technicality, I'm sorry, but it's Tyler Ankrum is not the worst at giving up positions from the non-preferred groove, even though 21 positions so far this season is not good. The worst is rookie Raphael Lassard giving up 30 positions so far in a Kyle Busch Motorsports truck. Uh, David, just being on pit road, he has contended. He has found himself toward the top 10 in fields and, but these restarts are hurting him and that ultimately leads to crashes and poor finishes. Uh, Tyler Ankrum, that was the false item. Not doing well, but Raphael Lassard is the series worst so far. Yeah, kind of a little bit of dirty pool by you there, the, uh, the, the technicality. But um, you know what? I'm glad that you used this as an opportunity to promote Sheldon Creed's restarting because going to tell you, I will not leave the room if there is a truck series restart and I see that two truck on the TV screen. Just not, not going to happen. He, he is willing to take substantial risks in the name of earning positions. And he lost a lot of spots on restarts last year. It was not because he's a bad driver. It's because he is trying very hard. And you know what? Let your freak flag fly, man. That is really interesting. And at least from the preferred groove, I, I think he's been really aggressive, but also really smart and taking advantage of these pockets of races that allow him this kind of positioning. He has been a lot of fun to watch. I encourage our listeners to watch that two truck on restarts because it's a blast. You have absolutely no idea what he's going to do. Fun stuff. And uh, I, I wanted to throw the trucks in there just because this weekend in Pocono we'll have cup trucks and Xfinity all running for a bunch of races in a few days. So now you have some things to think about during all of those races. Good stuff. Next topic, David, let's talk a little Eric Jones. Christopher Bell and the next step for the 20 car because it is still out there. It, I mean, it, it will always be there until we know uh, who's going where and what's going to happen. It's an odd situation from the start, right? Because we know Christopher Bell is in the Toyota wheelhouse. At some point in his life or career, he will end up in a JGR car. I mean, you would just assume that. But first, there has to be room. When and how does that happen? Uh, David, we're talking about it now because one of our listeners, Cochino Chewy, uh, brought it up. Is Christopher Bell expected to be in the 95 again for 2021? Or is it dependent upon what Jones uh, and the 20 do? I, I, I guess is what he's asking. Uh, I'll let you chime in just on your initial thoughts on this because uh, it'll be a question about what happens next year. Uh, so the answer to his question is yes. It, it is It is totally dependent on what 
Eric Jones does because Christopher Bell is signed through 2021 and his, his ride options are only limited to these two organizations, JGR or LFR. Um, but let's, let's sort of flip the script on this conversation because we we have pointed out enough that Eric Jones is good. We don't need to rehash why. He is he he's actually one of the top passers in the Cup series right now. He is very young. His production rating is well above his uh average for his age. He's going to be fine in the Cup series. I think now the questions that matter um are around whether he should even stay at Joe Gibbs Racing because lest we forget a contract negotiation he is a free agent it's not solely dependent on what the team wants to do the driver also controls his destiny in this regard and this isn't this isn't a Mercedes situation, frankly. This isn't Formula One. Joe Gibbs Racing is very good, but it does not have a stranglehold on the series. Hendrick Motorsports is good. Stuart Haas is good. Penske is good. Mm-hmm. And all three of those organizations have seats that are unaccounted for in advance of 2021. So, Alan, what do you think? Should he, given he's now been in the Gibbs system for three years, what should he consider doing? Uh, he, he has earned the right to look at his options, and man, I hope he does. Uh, if he wants to be a part of something new on the upswing, uh, does look, and we have to wonder who's considering him as well. So let, let's just assume all these teams are, and, and any of these teams are, are options to him. Why wouldn't you look at a Hendrick car, the 48 car, right? I mean, the speed that they have this year, uh, again, the same rules package, right? Next year, um, that, that, that they're, you know, they're pushing the, the next gen car. So if you want to look at who's having success this year and, and the trend and direction it's going, that would be a good team to be on next year, wouldn't it? Uh, Penske, all their drivers have wins so far. Uh, Stuart Haas. Um, we, we know beyond, you know, what do they have beyond Kevin Harvick? Can that be duplicated or can at least that success be there? Uh, that would be a question, but it's certainly worth a look. And, but there's, there's nothing wrong with Joe Gibbs. So I know I'm talking in circles. So uh, it, it deserves to be looked at because it, it may be one of those scenarios where, you know, moving to another team and, and having it kind of, you know, put your past behind you, if you will, and maybe moving up the ranks and being, kind of the alpha. I know he wouldn't be the alpha over at Hendrick Motorsports, but maybe a change of scenery helps. I don't know the, the proper way to answer that question, but the performance is there. I just like the position that he's in where he's in a good free agent market for a talented driver who may may get to have some choices unlike he's had the past few years. I agree with everything that you just said. I think he is in a fantastic position given the rides that are open as of right now, he should go to the team that provides him the most comfort, whether that is salary, whether it's uh, chances to compete more regularly for wins, 
or even uh, decision-making within the team. Uh, I don't believe drivers should be the ones picking personnel, but the reality is that that is absolutely a carrot that gets dangled in these negotiations. So yes, it would serve him well to listen to all offers on the table. I know in the news it has been reported um, that uh, his agent, Alan Miller, and uh, JGR are in discussions for an extension. I I don't believe that to be any posturing. I'm sure that that is entirely true. Uh, I'm sure Joe Gibbs Racing would be interested in keeping him. We know Toyota has said in the past that they want both him and Christopher Bell in their camps because that gives them a very bright future. Um, but yeah, he's, he's right now one of the more interesting free agents available. I think he will be courted as such. I would think so. And as we've pointed out many times on this podcast, uh, Eric Jones younger than Christopher Bell. Do not forget that little fact. And with more cup experience and cup wins and playoff appearances, this is not a driver you want to let out. <laughs> let out the door. And if you are other teams looking for a driver, uh, let me write some things down. I would like a driver who has won races. I would like a driver who is young. I would like a driver who has made playoff appearances. Hmm. One of those is available and his name's Eric Jones. That makes him highly coveted. And you have to believe other teams are going to put their bid in for this young driver. Very true. And should we should we also talk about Chris Bell in this situation? Sure. I, what I want to get at with Christopher Bell is, is there anything he can do this season that, that can change the situation, that would sway JGR to say, well, you know, if things aren't going well there, Jones negotiations, we've got Christopher Bell in our back pocket. I mean, they already do, I guess, right? I mean, that that's a foregone conclusion. They already have that card in their back pocket. But can Christopher Bell force the issue at all or, with his performance? See, that's really interesting because I have never thought of this question that way. Like, can Christopher Bell actually force change? My my initial reaction is no, because he doesn't have leverage. If he signed through 2021, he's good, right? And eventually the plan is for him to go to Joe Gibbs Racing, whether that happens next year or season after. And mind you, Martin Truex has a contract ending after the 2021 season. So there is a natural assimilation point built in contractually. I I don't think Bell has that leverage, but what what's the ceiling on what he can achieve for LFR? Because now we have Bob Levine speaking to the athletic saying that it's, it has been, um, it's been tough sledding during, uh, the COVID stoppage or maybe it was actually his general manager that, that said that to, uh, to Jordan Bianchi, but the, the team has had some issues they've seen just financially trying to figure out how to sort through this. They needed the season to restart. I would think that they need Chris Bell to do very well. Bell sort of is. I, I think there's going to be a cap on the actual race results that he can get, but he's proving himself a completely viable passer. And I would argue, even though he's a rookie, he's he might be the best thing about LFR right now. And simultaneously, he's probably the worst thing about LFR right now. How do you mean? You, well, okay. So we know that what he can do well, and he can get a result beyond the team's expectation because he is that kind of talent. But 
it's totally possible that he continues to struggle mightily on restarts and short runs as we're seeing. I don't think that's going to be an overnight change. Uh, I think it's possible that his crashing frequency right now, it's at 0.23. That is based on his history and based on the history of young drivers that came before him in the Cup Series. That is an aberration. And I would anticipate some regression coming forth in that regard. And if he is damaging race cars um, or totaling race cars for an organization that has already stated they are in some sort of financial bind, that could be troubling. So I think high end and I think low end, the responsibility will fall on Bell. I think the team can only act as one form of a, I don't know, a consistent cog where their driver takes them is going to be up to the driver. So they, they, they do need it to go well though, Alan. They, they really do because what LFR has become is something that I think the sport has needed for a long time. They are acting as this incubator for Toyota and this deep stable of young talent that Toyota has where drivers might not stay very long. They might graduate from LFR and go to Joe Gibbs racing, or maybe there's another Toyota organization down the road, but this is a niche and it's a niche that could work very well for LFR. And to me, I think this is how they survive because with good talent and we know how much Toyota loves Christopher Bell, but with good talent comes good funding and support. And that seems to me the most surefire method, certainly in a potentially unstable economy, support from a manufacturer could mean all the difference for LFR's long-term survival. I think you hit the nail on the head there in terms of what they need. That that Toyota affiliation is everything. And as long as, uh, if they have that, I like that word incubator you use because as long as they have that charter, right, LFR, as long as they're one of the teams out there running and, and Joe Gibbs Racing can only have four teams, and that's a primary toy, uh, that's the Toyota team, if you will. Uh, they need spots. They need, they need spots out on the racetrack to put some of these young drivers. So as long as LFR keeps this Toyota affiliation, I think everybody wins because at some point, you know what, Harrison Burton, Christian Eckes, Brandon Jones doing good things in the Xfinity series, you know, the, these Toyota drivers, they're going to need spots in the Cup Series if you can't be at JGR. So having this Toyota affiliation, I think, will keep you know all boats afloat over at LFR because it's working for everybody. And I think that's be- like you said, best case scenario. Uh, it's just a matter of what kind of uh, interest Eric Jones can. If that domino were to fall away from Toyota, I think we're going to see obviously some other dominoes fall, and you wonder. Who gets put into that LFR slot if Christopher Bell does indeed go over to JGR? Yeah. I mean, so see, we are, are literally discussing, uh, an instance in which Eric Jones, his decision making, the butterfly effect of it all, it could be a tremendous negative impact for LFR, especially if there is not a young driver ready to go that Toyota feels as compelled about as they do Christopher Bell. With great power, Eric Jones, comes great responsibility. Good question, though. I'm glad we discussed it. Uh, again, we, we love answering uh, listener questions, so please always send them in. 
David, let's go to Pocono because it's uh, this the reg- This was regularly scheduled. Remember, this was going to be the big doubleheader weekend. We've had some now in the past because of COVID, but we have four races, three series um, this weekend. You know, for for NASCAR anyway, the top three series are running a doubleheader for the Cup Series. So that's kind of two races we're going to preview because they have to use the same car both days, which is going to make it all more interesting. So let's just start with the basics. We're thinking this big flat track up in Pennsylvania. What matters at Pocono for success? That's a good question. The last five Pocono races were won by Toyota. And Four of those races saw late restarts, so that's something. But ultimately, the cars with the best long-run speed typically do just fine at Pocono despite the restart. Kyle Busch had the fastest long-run car in both Pocono races in 2019. Denny Hamlin had the second-fastest car. Busch and Hamlin won those races. And it's important to know, they also had cars rank inside the top three for short run speed in those races, sort of an instance in which their cars were pretty perfect. And that makes sense. There aren't a lot of two-mile tracks, certainly not enough for NASCAR organizations to make them a priority just for in terms of research and development. Uh, there are no two-mile tracks like this in the playoffs. So... There's not much of an incentive to be good. It usually just falls on to the teams that are the strongest. And in the case of the last three years, that that is exactly what happened. So you're going to consider the teams with the best car speed this season are probably going to fare pretty well. Uh, I think there is a question of whether Hendrick Motorsports can overcome some pretty ghastly performances last year on flat tracks. Uh, they didn't, uh, they didn't have that kind of consistent speed last year that they're showing this year. We're going to see if what we're witnessing from them speed wise this year matters on flat tracks because that's where they struggled in the past. So that's something to keep an eye on, but also restarts, Alan. Uh, there is a pretty big disparity. The first Pocono race of last year saw the outside groove as the strongest with an 80% retention rate wow. compared to the inside's 39% rate. And there were similar numbers in the second race. It was 76 to 41. I am not a fan of the fifth place spot at Pocono at all. That position saw 14% retention through 14 restarts across their two races last season. I would say third, fifth, and seventh is probably the spot that our listeners want to eyeball this weekend. Interesting uh, that you mentioned, obviously, the restarts and the long and short speed because, David, I just looked at the two races last year. Maybe it's not a historical trend, but last year there were no rhyme or reasons to these races because the average green flag runs were 14 and 17 laps in those two races last year. You know, relatively short run, but... The first stage in the July race went caution-free with 51 laps, a very long run, right? So when you mentioned having the perfect race car, just a lot of damn speed uh, last year, you're right. There was no rhyme or reason to which one was more beneficial because we we really saw both. I mean, if you have a 51 green flag run, 
uh, at Pocono, and then you still have a lap, a race with an average of 17 laps per green flag run, if you will. That means there were a lot of cautions after that. So with a lot of restarts. So you got to be good on both, I guess, is that's, that's how I interpreted it. Yeah, and that's that's generally a good rule of thumb to have it yeah. for for every racetrack, right? You want to be true. good on both short and long runs, but but for here you're right because that's typically how races bear out. Just because of look, this is a really long racetrack, and cars are going to separate. That's just what is going to happen. So I would anticipate that teams build. For the long runs, that's probably going to be the focus that you see. But it, again, these recent races were, were captured by those who performed best on late race restarts. It just so happened that they were also captured by the best teams in the sport at the time. And whether that shakes untrue this weekend, we'll see, but for the most part, you, your car, it, it's going to need to be perfect. Good stuff. All right. Two races in two days, like we mentioned, not, not the typical lengths of these Pocono races in the past, but so is there any reason to expect something different than usual at Pocono, David, you think this week? I don't think from the, from the races individually that I'm going to be expecting anything bizarre. I think where I'm very curious is if you're using the same car for both of these races and the the starting order will be flipped for the second race, two things are on my mind. One, d- does a bad car just stay bad? My assumption is yes, but please, by all means, prove me wrong. And second, I think we're going to see the real impact of clean air by – Whoever finishes poorly enough to win the pole in the first race for the second race, uh, how does that change the way their car performs? At the very least, I think this feels like a good trial, like a good, uh, a good two race stretch to study where I don't know. We, we're, we're going to learn some things. Yeah. And look, I hope, uh, I hope the second race, I, I just think, you know, the first race may be typical or a typical Pocono race, whatever you envision that as, but you, you have to race the same car. So you can't be too crazy. I, I know that that probably won't, won't happen because drivers are drivers and you want to win a race. I mean, there's still a playoff position on the line, but if you, if you get to that second race and you find yourself mired in the field, especially at the beginning, uh, you know, maybe we see a lot of aggression, right? I mean, you're just going to beat the hell out of a car. <laughs> why, why not? If you got to come through the field, especially the fast ones who just succeeded the day before and kind of, you know, w- with nothing to lose and you know how it's going, may- maybe that second race on Sunday is, is, is different than the first one we see on Saturday. That's all I can hope for. Yeah, I certainly hope so. Yeah, I don't want to, I don't want to watch the same race twice. I don't want to be in that situation, right? So yeah, I think some differentiation would be nice. Certainly appealing. Um, but yeah, just as far as the individual races at Pocono, how they go, no. I even, even if the mileage is shorter, I don't anticipate much change, but maybe I'm wrong. All right. Let's get to it. Our favorite part every week. 
you know, as long as we succeed, I guess. Uh, our contrarian contenders, David, for Pocono. Uh, maybe that driver you're not expecting to get a win, you think possibly can. Maybe, uh, you know, a fantasy pick who will get you some value if you're, you know, kind of a budget player. David, who, who are you picking as your contrarian contender for Pocono? You know, I don't know. The, the more that he shows up, the, the less of a contrarian pick he is. But I, I'm, I'll say Tyler Reddick. Yes. Um, I, I like RCR's recent history on this two mile track type. They produce very fast race cars for the two mile tracks, Pocono, Michigan, Indianapolis, and Fontana. And I like the organization's Long run speed this season. Their cars rank 10th and 12th in speed late in runs. Reddick is a positive surplus passer right now. One of his best passing performances this season came on the only two mile non-drafting track we've seen this year. That was Fontana, where he earned 15 positions more than his expectation. So that is my pick uh i'm i'm hoping to uh ooh, make a big correction on how i've been picking these guys the last few weeks because it has been awful all right tyler reddick that that was going to be my pick if well that, that was my backup pick if you don't like the, the pick i'm about to make if it's not contrarian enough but david i'm going with the driver he has six starts at pocono four of those finished in top fives yet I still think a lot of people would not pick him to win or assume he would be a primary contender on Sunday or Saturday. Therefore, my contrarian contender is Eric Jones. Eric Jones, I, uh, I don't, I hope that's contrarian enough for you because he is damn good at Pocono. You just got to look at the stats. Uh, as we mentioned, how good the JGR cars were last year. He is among those. He just doesn't have the victory yet. I think that could easily come on Saturday or Sunday. Uh, at Pocono. So while you may not be thinking of him, you should because he's damn good there. If you're a WWE fan, you know the name Randy Orton, RKO, like RKO out of nowhere. I feel like Eric Jones, like if you saw, if you watch Talladega, where the hell did he come from on that last lap? Eric Jones out of nowhere. And I think he can do it again in Pocono. That I'm riding that wave. RKO out of nowhere for Eric Jones. Yeah, you lost me on the WWE stuff, but I fully, I fully support that. And, uh, no, should be, should be a lot of fun to watch. Cool. Well, good episode, David. Don't forget we are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, Podbean, and Luminary. We're available no matter your device. Our entire catalog of episodes is available for free at posregpod.com. If you like what you're hearing, please leave us a rating or a review. That stuff really does help in spreading the word. Tell a friend, leave a review. Hit those stars, however it works. Uh, we really do appreciate it. If you have any questions, send them to us on Twitter. You know we answer them uh, at posregpod, P-O-S-R-E-G-P-O-D. David, you're always working hard. What do you got? Well, if you haven't seen much NASCAR related from me in uh, the last week or so, it's because I'm working on a major NASCAR-related project for motorsportsanalytics.com right now. That will be unveiled soon. But in the meantime, I'm going to have some previews for the restart of the IMSA sports car season and a look at IndyCar road course strategy. Both of those will come out next week, uh, leading into what appears to be a July 4th weekend with an awful lot of racing on the docket. 
Good stuff. Uh, I will be interviewing the uh, winner, the first winner, the first cup winner of Pocono on Saturday. That'll air on Race Hub next week, so make sure you check that out. This week, Ricky Stenhouse joins me on the A-list after an awesome run um, on in Talladega, so make sure you check that out on my social media. And just keep it on the Fox family of networks. Uh, for all the racing because we got trucks Xfinity and two cup races it's going to be awesome so for David Smith I'm Alan Kavana. thank you for listening to this week's Positive Regression Rose Davis, historian and co-host of the sports podcast, Burn It All Down. And now I'm hosting the new season of American Prodigy, all about black girls in gymnastics. For the last 40 years, black gymnasts have moved from the margins to the core of the sport and changed gymnastics along the way. Now they tell their stories. You'll meet trailblazers like Diane Durham, superstars like Jordan Childs, and everyone in between. Listen to American Prodigies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.